Democrats debate who will give out more free stuff while the Supreme Court quietly shapes our world. The Monica Perez Show starts now. This is Monica Perez waking Atlanta up to the true threats to our liberty every Saturday from 3 to 6 right here on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. And there are always so many threats to our liberty. The problem is they are disguised as entertainment or other issues. The classic I like to talk about is the dialectic where one side versus the other side makes it look like there's a fight going. But really, both sides are working towards a middle, a middle that is not there to promote our liberty and our individual uh justice, but something called social justice, which inevitably is individual injustice. But there's a lot of ideology flying around in the guise of this left-right thing, of the Democrat-Republican thing. And I I get like baffled by, by it. When you take a step back, you ask why you know, when you have a court of law, we have an adversarial system. There's another kind of system called the uh, inquisitor system, inquisitive system, whatever, where like the judge asks questions and you have to answer them. We have an adversarial system where two people fight it out and you and you and the judge listens to everything and then decides or the jury decides. We seem to have this adversarial system in the in the political realm And I think we take it for granted that that's the way it has to be. It's inevitable that democracy should be that way. But really, it isn't that way. It's not inevitable. You see other places where there are numerous parties. They have to share power. I'm not saying that's better. I'm just saying it's different. And I can't help but remember my Swedish friend telling me about Sweden. Now they have a culture clash because of immigration some immigration from places that are culturally so dissimilar that it causes problems rather than maybe war-torn Ukraine, which is right around the corner, maybe wouldn't be so culturally different. So I smell a rat with that. But what she was telling me is that basically the Swedish people have kind of the same sensibilities and are in agreement in their mixed economy. We call it socialism, but it's really a mixed economy. And they were doing fine with that. So I looked at that and I thought, why do we have such a different system? And for me, our, the ideological battle where the, it's the left versus right. The left to me is the foreign interference in our country that the, that the founding documents, the constitution doesn't really have to address the form of government like a socialism versus capitalism because of the 10th amendment. It's really a coalition for commerce and defense that just keeps freedom to the max and uh, defense more practical because we have these two oceans and we could just bind together to keep people from invading pretty easily. It should be a, a very simple system, which is why I like the Articles of Confederation more than the Constitution But the Constitution will do, I think, if it's adhered to. But the Tenth Amendment kind of pushes all this stuff down to the states. They're called the police powers, but they include health, uh, policing, education, all that stuff. That's been uh, established by the Supreme Court. That stuff's supposed to take the place of at the state level. 
So this week, we're de- the first of the Democratic debates. Who wants to be to see who's going to be nominated for the Democrat ticket for president in 2020? And they some really interesting things came out of it. I was loath to watch it. I was like, this is going to be smoke and mirrors or a circus or just uh, mm, I don't like their ideology. So I didn't really feel like listening to it. But a lot of important points came up out of it. And and one of them was uh, one of the guys was talking about how Canada has a socialized medicine and maybe that works better because they are only 35 million people and we're closer to 350 million people. And on a separate point, Kamala Harris said that she was uh, the head of the Department of Justice, second in size only to the federal Department of Justice at the time, serving 40 million Californians. And I just started to think, I mean, I've always thought this, but they bring it out that that this idea that we need socialism and it needs to be on the federal level is just uh, it doesn't make sense. It it actually would work less good that way. So less well. So why not look at Canada? They're they're praising Canada's socialism for a for a governmental entity of 35 million people. California is bigger than that. They could be a self-sustaining socialist country and why they need to impose it on the rest of the country. It makes no sense. And I, I, it, I, you know, I smell a rat with it. And the ideology that they are promoting with this, it requires that everybody kind of get in line, that everybody get on the same page. And it's not necessary. And it causes a lot of division and strife. And I think there are reasons for that. One is a genuine desire to amass the most power as possible. And in the United States, you, if you wove it all together, would amass a great deal of power. Uh, but also, I think it's a way to divide us and distract us from the power that we exercise abroad as really what's functioning as an empire, a, a conquering empire, with the foreign wars and our foreign policies, which include economic policies that drive this migration. I mean, if you, it, we are always looking at each other in this battle for control of all 50 states, and we don't look at what both parties are doing together to affect the world, which in turn has backlash on us from 9-11 to the crisis at the border. So we should be thinking about that. And, and this idea that we need to have uh, a 300-and-something million-person entity for these ideologies to work, it, 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 again, like these other things, flies in the face of our founding documents. As I was looking into some of the Supreme Court decisions where there are census, uh, they talked about the census and gerrymandering this year, this week. So I looked at the Constitution, which I always do to see what the basics are there. And uh, I've noticed this recently where it says they, they, the number of representatives, this is from the Constitution, shall not exceed one for every 30,000 people. Uh, and each state shall have at least one representative. Now, that says shall not exceed. Okay. I get that that's the limit, and that's why that's not the actual ratio we have. But if that were the ratio we had, one for every 30,000 people, which seems like a fair, you're not very well represented if, if it's one 
representative for every 30,000 people. But in fact, if that were the case, we would have 11,000 representatives in Washington. We are grossly underrepresented by the metric that's laid out in the Constitution. Again, I say you don't need to have these overarching, massive, big government programs from coast to coast even to adhere to the ideology these guys say they're purporting. Now, I want to get into some of the ideologies and some of the quotes and some of the sound bites. I know my producer Binkley's here. He, he usually, uh, I don't think we ever outright disagree, but um, you probably came away with a different overarching view of the, of the debates. What, um, first of all, Hey, how you doing? I'm <laughs> cooling off. Oh yeah. Yikes. Um, so what do you, what did you think of the, what was your biggest, I think there are a few big takeaways, but give me one big takeaway from the debate. It was like a pander festival, like in a competition for world's greatest panderer. To give away free stuff or to, uh, address people, to try to relate to people's identity. What did you become America's next great politician? And yeah, relate to the identity talking points. (laughs) Intersectional. There was a a lot of. Uh, I will give away the most free stuff. Yes, absolutely. And That's a lot pandering. of babies in cages and the top <laughs> 1% is evil and Spanish speaking. That's true. There were themes. I definitely saw scripted moments. And I think that you saw like that there was a memo that people were reading from. I yeah. didn't catch the patterns that you caught. Maybe we'll get into those. Kamala Harris needs some de- definite script work because she does not do – I mean, she's clearly scripted in these interjections that she has. Yeah, the food fight thing. Yeah. Did you notice that? So, like, everybody was talking over each other. It was it was really weird and unprofessional, and it, it reflected poorly on the moderators. And it didn't ring true because Yang, the person who probably spoke the least in the, on the stage, said that at times his microphone was turned off. So the cacophony that arose during one of the episodes was clearly allowed to happen and it gave Kamala Harris the opportunity to say they're not looking what did she say they're not looking something for about food a food fight. something about America doesn't want a food fight they, they want, want food. food on the yeah. table or something right. like that right so it, she yeah they teed stuff up for her absolutely remind me of a bad like the first rehearsal of a staged play is what it reminded me of oh where people are just like oh wait no it's my turn no wait yeah. it's your turn uh, yeah, so there is definitely elements of that. Some people were better at it than others, that's for sure. I thought that Marianne Williamson was absolutely inserted. Well, at first I thought she was inserted for comic relief. Do people, If people haven't watched it, the, the highlight of the debate was not only uh, Marianne Williamson, who I'd never heard of before, was on that stage with, I think, 600 people registered to run for Democrat president. I don't know how she was one of the people who got 20, one of the 20 slots. But she she actually, I know people, anyone who heard it, I was going to be like, Monica, really lost her mind. I I liked what she said. I thought she made sense. Like, she was touching on on deeper issues it didn't sound like it because she seemed so high but uh that's i think why they put her there to represent these deeper issues because she sounds like a flake and then the the story all week was the snl chicks um impression of her which i did find to be knee-slappingly funny and even though i don't like to rerun stuff that's run a thousand times i think we're gonna have to do it 
So did you, what did you think, Binkley, of the Marianne Williamson? Did you, her, uh... I thought she did a great job. She she kept talking and did not stop talking, and that's how you get time in these debates. Is she just? I mean, she basically. I, I thought Chuck Todd was going to come up there and tackle her at one point. <laughs> well, we'll let you hear what she had to say a little bit. I think we have a few clips of that. But I, even if we we don't hear it in her voice, there were a couple of things that I thought. Hmm. She. Uh, this is worth digging into. All right, so let's get to some of that. And uh, we've got some clips. I do want to talk about the Supreme Court decisions. I'm open to if people want to call about any of that. 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Or you can tweet at me, at Monica Perez Show. Monica Perez. Don't hate the player, hate the game, son. On News 95.5 at AM 750, WSB. We're going to go to a quick call. You are welcome to join the party, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK, or you can tweet at me, at Monica Perez Show. We're talking about the Democratic debates and some of the Supreme Court decisions that came down this week. And I'm going to go to Julie. Julie, you are on with Monica. Hi, Julie. Hi, Julie. Can you hear me? Hi, Julie. Hi, Monica. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. What you got? Awesome. Well, first of all, the Marianne Williamson, she's very, very big in the self-help world. The motivational blog, that that's where she's fake. Massive. Um, and that's not my point. But you didn't bring up reparations, and I'm a black conservative, so um, I do have a, a solution that's fairly easy. I just looked up today very quickly what reparations are, and I didn't even look into the details, but it says a lot of details, but it says they want to study for $12 million, have a committee study this, and then it looks like it could possibly be a $17 trillion solution. And I think this solution is a lot easier. It took me about 15 seconds to come up with, which is there are 12% of the country is black. There are about 36 million black people. Um, provide each one, and this gets more, com- you know, there's complexities, but give each one $1 million, but then remove all um, Medicaid, uh, Medicaid and welfare programs because those are reparation programs. We don't call them that, but that's what they are. So if we want to call it something, give a dollar number, give it a number, call it reparations, but remove all the other stuff. You can get now better health insurance than most Americans. You can get better education than most of that uh, to me is a solution it is only 36 million dollars wow i'm gonna let's think about that julie i'll uh, i'll address that's a bold idea to, i didn't think about it that way let's uh, i'm gonna talk about it after the break 800 wsb talk or you can tweet at me at monica perez show monica perez everything you do is being watched by some all-seeing eye on news 95.5 at am 750 wsb We are hitting the ground running here with talking about the Democrat debate. There are a lot of issues that came up. Julie called before the break talking about reparations. Don't hang up, Julie. I think we're going to get back to you because Anne is calling uh, with a response. So Julie's idea was that there are 36 million black people in America, and we should give them an idea, a simpler, cheaper idea than the Democrats' plan. Julie described herself as a black conservative, so I doubt she's on board with the Democrat plan. It would cost $17 trillion to do the study and all that kind of stuff. And uh, her idea 
I think costs more than that, Julie. So you got to hang on and defend it. But it's just give the payment, but then take people off of Medicare or other ser- services because those. Julie characterized them as reparations. So I'm going to get back to you, Julie, and ask about that. But Anne wanted to respond to you. So, Anne, are you on the line? Can I get Anne on the line? She must have hung up. Okay, so I'm going to go back to Julie. And, uh, oh, Tariq's on the line, too, so we should talk to him. But, Julie, so I did the math. You still there? Yes, ma'am. All right. I did the math, and uh, it would be if it's 36 million people getting a million dollars each, I think that's $36 trillion. Do you think? Oh, did I do that? Well. But we can just I mean, make it a different number. Let's say it's a break-even no, number. No, say it's 30, 36 million people get $1 million each. It's 36 million. million. Million, which is a trillion. But let's just say, <laughs> let's just cut that in half and say they get 500000 each. That's plenty, probably. And then... Uh, you that would be the equivalent to the Democrat plan of seventeen trillion, but no, but, no, no, no. I, I'm, uh, I'm still you. You lost me. Okay, one each person yep. gets one million dollars. Right. I don't understand where you're doing the math for the trillion. Well, how many people are there? Thirty-six million. So if you have to give a million dollars to each of thirty-six million people, that's thirty-six million. That's 30, it's times a million. Okay. Otherwise, it's a dollar. But I want to talk about the principle. Oh, God, 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 God. Yeah, yeah, no, it's expensive. But I want to talk about the principle of it. Do you, so you're saying, I like that this, or I'm interested in this idea that social services are a reparation for, let's just say, past injustices that put people in different classes. Is that fair? Absolutely. So, so, you know, thinking about that, if we went back and looked at all the money that was paid into these programs, let's even just say since LBJ is New Society, uh, if you want to go back, then you would really have to drill down from a racial basis. Like, did, uh, is it real? You know, would you deduct from the reparations how much of that was paid out to black people versus American Indians versus, you know what I mean? Like it would, it's, I think you're onto something in that the reparations uh, have just this concept. But the the Native Americans already got paid. Yeah, yeah. So what you're going to, what you're going to have is all the other 264 million complaining about this, but. I'm just saying to solve this problem and be done with it and get the money out of the welfare system and the Medicaid system. I mean, we're probably spending more than $36 trillion on Yeah, on I mean, that's that. that's actually the thing is that if you were to do it, and this is the problem with the universal basic income, um, that like people I, I enter these ideas as a way to solve the bigger problem, but they're not going to actually take away all the welfare or the other taxes that are there to address these issues anyway. You know what I mean? So I think you make an excellent point in that you're going to have uh, those payments, but you're also just going to have a continuing bed of payments because in reality, I wouldn't be surprised if money you give to people just outright, they, they often don't keep it. 
they get bamboozled out of it anyway, and then you're back where you started. I wouldn't be surprised. Yes, no, there's a lottery mentality syndrome. Yeah. Yes. You'd have to qualify. You'd have to have a psychologist so you can deal to transforming this new life. There'd be a wealth manager to make sure you don't buy a yacht. I mean, social worker to make sure that you can handle it. Of course, that's up, but then those jobs now, I'm sure there's some underworking, the non-working psychologists who could use the, the work. But, there, yeah, there would be that to it. But just give the money out. It wouldn't be tomorrow. You don't get a million dollars tomorrow. But get work it out so you get the money, get rid of the program, get rid of the program. And that would not, that would just be for the people who get the money. Now, of course, you have the rest of the country that still needs the program. They leave the program in place for those. But you've got to get these, you know, just pick, yes. pick, okay. pick a side. I got you know, it. You're All either right. going to get welfare for the rest of your life, which is a lot of money, yeah. or get the money and let's move on. That's a get, very, get, yeah, it's a very interesting concept. I'm going to. I'm going to simplify it this way and say there's a concept of net present value of a future stream of income. And like that's what life insurance is or uh, damages if you kill somebody wrongfully. Uh, you look at what is, the, what is the value today of that future stream of income. And by the way you're talking about it, I think you could look at a, a future stream of income through generations and what would be that net present value right now. So then the person who gets it now, see, it's a real temporal problem, a time problem here, because the person who gets it now has this responsibility to the future generations to make it right for them. Likewise, the person who gets it now is getting this benefit for something that happened to people in his or her past that may or may not have had the impact uh, that we are attributing to it. So that's about the person receiving it. This one person at this point in time is receiving it, and that's supposed to make it right for his ancestors and for his descendants. I mean, that's tricky. Are you saying that reparations are actually going to solve the problem? I think that's what's so interesting about your point, Julie. And then there's the other side. Who's paying for it? So let's say there was a benefit. Let's say there there clearly was labor by slaves that was a benefit. Who received that benefit? Let's say it was the slave owners primarily. The surplus that they had, the wealth they built up, was not distributed to the slaves by Lincoln and the North. It was destroyed. So that isn't there. So then who pays for it? People now, I my I had nobody in my family living in this country at that time. We were, most of us were Irish. And if you read this stuff about what the English were doing to the Irish, it was similar. Chased you out of your own country. So it will cause a lot of resentment to the people here and now who are paying for something they could argue they did not benefit from. But there's, that's a very... This is some hot stuff to talk about, and I was not looking to dive into that with both feet, but let's do it. And since we're in the pool, let's talk to Tariq. Hey, Tariq. Good afternoon. I hope you're doing well. Enjoy the show. So do, would you like me to comment on the subject that you just took a call? <laughs> yes, or the, please. Okay. Please do. First, first of all, I'll try to be very quick. Stuff is scrapping around in my head, but the, the big problem is the reparations, I have a serious issue with it because the slaves 
there's no way anybody gets paid now for something that happened a couple of centuries ago. Because I know for a fact I had one of my ancestors was born in 1810, and his parents were born before that. That's one thing. But but what I want to get to essentially is this. This is an example of why Socrates cringed at the at the in thinking about the form of government we call democracy, because he said there are two ways to do it. First of all, you allow people to vote based on birthright, or you do it based on wisdom or skill. And to and to vote on, based on wisdom and skill, you it's, it has to be taught. One of the ways you do that is through history. But to me, what this you notice this reparations all of a sudden is hot and heavy. To me, the the bottom line is. This is a system or a continuation of the collective's program to make the whole world, in this case, the United States, part of the collective count. Because when, when I was talking about voting, uh, one of the things, one example, if I recall, it's been a long time, but Socrates said that you typically had a lot of demigods elected because they would do things like, Offer things like like a candy store. You know what I mean? Offer yeah, that, I watched the debates things. this week. I know what you mean. Yeah, and I didn't even look at it, so because I, I, I know where they're coming from, so I didn't waste my time. Right. But if you if you if you if you offer stuff, you know, human nature. Like Homer said, there were some things when he described the community. It hadn't changed in a couple of thousand years, over two thousand years. Our nature has been the same, so you can always get. The one or two percent, as opposed to ninety-eight percent, you're always going to have somebody that likes free stuff. The, the, the collective people here in this country. When I say collective, now you talk about Democrat and, and Republican. Trust me. Well, this is my strong opinion. You have people of, of both persuasions in both parties. There were a lot of things that the collective kept from the collective folks in the Republican Party that didn't vote on things, right? Because they've all been infected and socially engineered. You just have, I believe, more of the extreme left that are affected that way. But, you know, you offer, all of a sudden they wanted for president, so they want to offer even more free stuff. Yeah, I got to I mean? just uh, interject, Tariq, so people don't think I uh, – <laughs> my mic doesn't work. I – I had the same impression of the Democrat debate, which obviously you did or you said you didn't listen to. But my first thing was these guys act like they're socialists and Republicans are capitalists and they're both in favor of a mixed economy. No question about it. They're all giving away stuff. It's just that one of them uses as a touchstone Plato's philosophy of the collective as the the essential social unit. And the other Republicans pretend, although they don't really do it, to like Aristotle's idea of the individual as the basic unit of society. And then it comes from there. And for me, the platonic way requires the central control where you have the people at the top have to have total wisdom and they have to have good character. Therefore, world governance. That's one of the main things. It's really speeded up the last two or three hundred years. But that's really what it's. I mean, they, there's another quick point I want to make because my mind is scrambling because I got so many things in there. But Thomas I'm only Jefferson, giving you one more minute, Tariq, and then we're okay. going to break. So get it out Th- there. Th- Thomas Jefferson wrote Madison. And for those that aren't aware, he's considered the the major architect of the Constitution. 
Madison, among others, they didn't get that knowledge from nowhere. Madison discovered uh, Patel's uh, Law of Nations. Yeah, they, they just, he he studied different forms of confederacies and republics. We went back a few thousand years. That's why they seem so brief, but it really it really came back to that. So a lot of this stuff it's it's by by design. They just doing it for votes. There's nothing. There's not to me. The ones that you really need to pay reparations to are the slaves, and you can't do that. Um, now, now don't get me wrong. There are some things that we should address. We could should continue to try to address to make it uh, more efficient for us to improve overall. Give me one example, and then I'm going to let like, you. Like, like education, uh, try to make an even playing field in the workforce as much as possible without being prejudiced toward the majority. You know what I mean? Because that's not right either. And I've always felt that way. All right, I get I'm going to cut you off right now and go to a break, but I'm going to respond to a couple of things you had to say uh, right after this. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. And now for something completely different. On News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Julie really sparked a firestorm about reparations. I have got a full bank of calls, and I'm hoping you guys will all stay on the line. The, their uh, comments are they're just teasing to my screener. I've got to talk to everyone. Michael, Willie, Brian, John, hang on. Uh, I want to respond to Tariq, who I hung up on before the call. Uh uh, he was talking about reparations, but so much more. So I just need to square away a couple of things that he left hanging. One was he said you have to resolve these issues in a way that isn't unfair to the majority, which is something you like, never hear. But I read it in Bastiat's The Law when a, a very small and worthwhile little essay where he said, be careful that when you switch places with your tyrants, you are not then the tyrants. So be very careful about that. And that's why we want always to have the touchstone of uh, of objective principles, that it doesn't matter who you are when you were born, you are equally protected under the law and benefited by it if that's the kind of society you live in. That's when social engineering can get in the way of individual justice. So thanks for that. And then he also said... That uh, I asked him a specific of how he'd make it right. And he said, and, uh, besides education, which is tricky, because if the state's doing it, it's going to favor the state. He did say an even playing field, which I believe unbridled competition results in the most even distribution of wealth, not the dis undistribution. The, the concentration of wealth comes when competition is restricted. Rockefeller's the one who said competition was a sin, not the guy running the uh, – ice cream stand on the corner. So uh, these are big principles. I love talking about big principles. I want to get to these calls. You can call to 800-WSB-TALK. Binkley, you had a comment about the reparations. Uh, what was your takeaway? That the reparations debate isn't designed to solve a problem. It's designed to inflame one, to increase racial tensions uh, leading up to an election. Yeah, I believe that. And yet the our callers here are going to engage in a civilized debate. I'm dying to hear what they have to say. Hang on, guys. This is Monica Perez. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to be. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. 
This is Monica Perez waking Atlanta up to the true threats to our liberty every Saturday from 3 to 6 right here on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. We've been talking about the Democrat debates and uh, immediately sparked a lively conversation on uh intentionally on reparations and we've had quite an interesting palette of ideas and i want to continue down that path i do binkley had said my producer binkley's here and i before the break he had said that he feels like this isn't meant to solve a problem it's really meant to foment racial tension make things worse and it reminded me that the that identity politics, I think, were, was used to distract the left. It's like the way cultural Marxism replaced actual Marxism to make people focus on issues that truly could not be resolved. I mean, you cannot resolve a different fundamental identity for yourself, and I don't even think it's a problem to be resolved, but it's something that took on a lot of political importance for the left, and it got the left distracted from things like the anti-war position, anti-cronyism position, and that's the kind of stuff that gave the left some moral high ground, but they brought it to the right as well. So the right's grassroots movement was centered around Ron Paul and libertarianism and a return to American values and a coherent ideology of politics that involved economic uh, liberty and had a strong moral foundation, whether you are Aristotelian or Platonic. And that's what I was talking to Tariq about before the break. Your morality might be different, but it is was meant to be a moral, coherent, economic and political system, libertarianism. But the right is now forgetting about all that and embracing the counterposition on identity, or at least that's what is being portrayed to us. And in order to get people riled up about this stuff, they have to keep the agitation coming. And the reparations is a great way to do that. But we're not going to let them get us irrational and agitated. We're going to have an intelligent conversation about this and why you want it or why you don't want it. What's it really all about? 404-872-0750, 800-WSB-TALK. You can tweet at me, at Monica Perez Show. Binkley, maybe you can queue up some tweets while I do some rapid fire on these calls. Maybe not rapid fire, but we're going to get through them. And I'm starting with Michael. Hey, Michael, you are on with Monica. How you doing? I'm doing all right, Ms. Perez. Ms. Perez, I think the I think well, I actually I feel that affirmative action was the reparations for blacks because if you if you listen to President Johnson's speech to, at Howard University, he made that quite clear. What happened with affirmative action? And I think it worked great as a form of reparations, but but the Democrats and the black politicians opened it up to quote unquote the people of color, and it got watered down. Secondly, reparations, you think, you think you've seen hate crimes now? Boy, if reparations get pushed, pushed through, it's just too divisive. It's not, good. it's not good for the country. The problem facing black Americans, in my opinion, I'm a black American, is behavior. It's not education. It's not racism. It's behavior. And I'll give you an example real quick, and I'll let you go. People, blacks are always complaining, black Americans are always complaining that police brutality. I contend that it's behavior because there's black Jamaicans, Africans from Africa, they're black, black Haitians. You never really see those guys caught up in police shootings. And I have to ask myself, why is that? I think the black American has, the, there's a behavior problem within the black American community. If, because if the police were just looking at people who are black, 
You will find Jamaican shot by police and all the other black groups. I don't see it. I just, I'm just tired of black Americans being the face of everything that's not, that's not good in this country, and it's, not, and it's really not good for black Americans. It's going to get to a point, I believe, Ms. Perez, that no one is going to be a, want to be around black Americans. And we have to stop looking at black Americans. Black Americans need to stop looking at black politicians as leaders, but as elected officials who are supposed to work on their behalf. And uh, it's just too much. Just this reparation stuff, I voted for Trump. I grew up in Chicago as a Democrat. It just wasn't working out. I mean, so, you know, that's all can I want I to just, say. I, I don't, can Go I ahead. just ask you a question or two, Michael, just real quick? Yeah. Or, or have you ever, were you familiar with Bill Cosby's controversial positions before he was, uh, you yeah, know, distracted? I was, and, and I agree with him. I agree with him. This country's been good to me. I came out of the slums of Chicago, great school system, okay? Um, went to uh, Yale. Affirmative action got me in. I studied hard. I'm not going to lie. Affirmative action got me in. Studied hard. Went on to the military. Finished up. Did you sound well. like Thomas Sowell. Right. Kids are doing well. But I grew up. I grew up on the south side of Chicago. We, I remember my relatives, my family members always voted for the quote-unquote black slate. And uh, it, I grew up in the community where Obama was the uh, President Obama was supposed to be the, the community organizer. There was nothing there. All those black policies. I voted for Trump. No regret. We'll vote for him again in 2020. Because the biggest problem facing black Americans, and they don't really see it, is immigration. Whoa. So racism, okay. Yeah. It's, it's immigration because I live in a, a, a really affluent area in uh, North Fulton, and those people of color, a lot of them tend to be more racist to me than the whites. You know, and I've traveled around the world, and I'll tell you this much. You want to see some serious racism? Live in a subdivision where most of, the, most of, the, most of your neighbors are from India. Pakistan, you talking about racism? Whoa, please. So well, black Americans need to um, need to start worrying about behavior. It's all about behavior. That's you know that's a lot of stuff, Michael. You absolutely must call back with uh, with right. your hot opinions going forward. I I wish I could address it, but the stuff that you're talking about is a very uh, it's complex and it's emotional and it's hard to just say, oh, this is my opinion. I read an article in The Atlantic from some time ago, maybe 10 years ago. It was about Bill Cosby and it was addressing his really upsetting comments. Now, things can be upset, uncomfortable. I'm not going to say upset, uncomfortable comments, but like from a position of is he right or wrong? Is there merit to this? Can we have uncomfortable conversations? Do we need to? Why doesn't he like Obama? That would, I don't think an article like that could be written right now because we've descended into emotionalism, knee-jerk stuff. People are, have to think one thing or another. These are important questions that need to be addressed. And uh, I, do, I do think that there are systematic problems in this country that result in behavior, bad behaviors, but also lack of opportunity. I, I, you know, affirmative action, yes, by forcing people to do stuff, it, it's against my libertarian principles, but I can't deny that I think it had uh, value. I wouldn't be surprised if it had value for me. I'm not really sure. I, I absolutely um, got advantages because of, I think, having such a, uh, you know, economically underprivileged background so so there's value in that stuff. A lot of it can be solved with compassion and not necessarily policy, but 
yeah, I agree that if we if we institute injustice and reparations would be in, an injustice because you would be taking from people who did not do anything wrong and giving it to people who are not necessarily victims. Would Jamaicans be entitled to it? Kamala Harris presents herself as somebody who benefited from busing, but her father emigrated here from Jamaica. Are we responsible for Jamaican um, slave reparations? I mean, I just, I, I, it's complicated, and I, I want to keep getting to the call. Sorry, I uh, was trying to do some rapid fire, but I'm going to go to Willie next. Hey, Willie, you're on with Monica. Hey, are you there? Okay. Yeah, Willie, I got gotcha. you. Okay. Yeah. yeah, first of all, I wanted to um, to just compliment you on your uh, intelligence and, and your well-rounded uh, thinking process. <clears throat> and, um, you know, I've been listening to you for years, so it's not like um, I've just stumbled onto you. I listen to you whenever I have the opportunity. And back to the whole reparation thing, I'm a black guy uh, with the name Willie. you got to know that. Okay, so um, uh, one one small comment uh, about reparation, then I'd like to talk more about something you just, just opened the door to about compassion. Compassion is going to be an important piece of any of this type of thing. But, um Initially, you had mentioned something earlier about um, about you know maybe the uh, the welfare type uh, benefits and things that that maybe blacks had received over time. If you were going to if you were going to try to implement some type of uh, uh, reparation plan, that should not even be uh, a part of the uh, of the negotiation or a part of of the deductions because those things merely were used by those in power to keep to keep people. Uh, neutral and uh, and all of that. For instance, one of the one of the classic things with me is how uh, women on welfare, black women on welfare, uh, the only way they could stay on welfare, they pretty much had to make sure that the black man was not in the house. So he had to sneak in at night and be gone by the time anybody might try to detect uh, detect or case work and stuff like that. You get the point. So so they 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 made it hard for a for a black man to be in the home, but they made it easier for the black woman to to an extent by giving her the, the crumbs off the table in the way of welfare and SSI and stuff like that. So let's move on. So um, so reparation basically is not feasible and reasonable, but uh, I, I think that what you said about compassion is the type of thing that needs to be worked, and that's a community thing. For instance, during the civil rights movement, you had a lot of people, particularly from the Jewish community, which were, you know, which were mainly looked at upon uh, by us as whites. You had you had Jews who who got down in in the um, in, in the dust with blacks to help them fight uh, for the movement, and they brought things to the table that we didn't have in place. So uh, even now, if we switch it to uh, religion or, or frank, frankly, Christianity, the uh, the Christian whites. Uh, have the opportunity from a compassion standpoint and from a missionary standpoint is to join hands with the black community to bring the moral uh, uh, things that you're talking about to uh, our community by joining hands with uh, the black community that's determined to bring the moral values and the moral levels to where they need to be in order for people to be able to uplift themselves. So I'll shut up now. No, I want want to. That is what uh, that would work in a way what you said about like you can't count the welfare and stuff against and you're right because I don't even think those are unintended consequences. I think I mean, there's uh, I think that that stuff was meant to keep the social strata racially 
in particular, but even just generally economically in place. Like welfare is intentionally counterproductive. Why? Because it comes from a place of wanting political power rather than a place of wanting the good for the other, which is the very definition of love, which is the foundation of morality. And I don't want to sound like sound like Marianne Williamson over here. Maybe I do. But the but the idea is you can't have policy uh, being in the place of personal responsibility. So I'm a libertarian. I don't think the government I don't think it can be trusted with this kind of action. But the moral impetus that we see in evidence by the fact that billions of people belong to religions, all of which have charity and controlling your own behavior as the foundational principles, that's you can look at that to see there is a human impetus to do that, inherent impetus to do that, and, and it would be more effective because it would be genuine. Thank you so much for the call. I got to take a break. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. It's like everything I've been brought to believe was all made of bull****. On News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. I am going to go straight to the calls. Uh, We are talking about the hottest issue, I guess, that was brought up during the Democrat debate, the idea of reparations. And I am very interested in your point of view. So 800-WSB-TALK, if you want to join the conversation, I'm going through calls, trying to do it in the order they were received. So, Brian, I'm up to you. Brian, you are on with Monica. Love the show, Monica. First off, thank you so much for taking my call. Um, I think, you know, most people need to realize that there's a lot of other groups that were subjugated at that period of time in our history, uh, from Eastern Europeans to the Asians out West that were building the uh, railroads. So, you know, I, I think we're leaving a lot of people out of the conversation, but as a solution minded person, I wanted to suggest a solution, a solution that would help everybody across the board. Uh, rising tide lifts all boats. We need to end income tax. Stop <laughs> right on, stealing Brian. money from my paycheck. Uh, we need to go back to tariffs. That's how we funded this country for 175 years. A much smaller and, government. And Well, even still, um, you know, I'm there's uh, <laughs> tariffs uh, amongst the states. There's tariffs amongst people coming in, and then there's consumption tax. You know, there were no tariffs would, between the states. Well, there was. Uh, oh. The northern states and the southern states, that was one of the driving forces for the Civil War uh, because the southern state plantation owners needed that labor for free because they couldn't compete paying wages uh, with northern factory workers. You're going to have to hold on, Brian. Hang on. I'm taking a break, but I have to... Uh, yeah, it's okay. You know, I'll, I'll jump on that. Hold on a sec. Uh, this is Monica Perez, 800 WSB Talk. Join the conversation. Monica Perez. Maybe it's something really cool that I don't even know about, you know. On News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We are back. Uh, I am waking Atlanta up to the true threats to our liberty every Saturday from 3 to 6 right here on WSB. And these threats come in all Forms. They come mostly in policies that are meant to divide us or rob us of our rights and protections. So that's what we focus on. And I say almost everything that makes the 24-7 news cycle is meant to impose upon us something we would not otherwise allow. 
that we've gotten to the point where it's not about ratings, really. Uh, they insert drama to make you watch, but they are really using this propaganda machine purely at this point to propagate consent for policies, and they are not for us. They are for the them. I am going to let Brian finish his thought and uh, or reiterate it. Brian, you are on with Monica. Well, You're once back. again, thank you for the uh, opportunity to speak, Monica. I really appreciate that. Um, you know, as an immigrant from South Florida to Georgia, um, you know, it, it, it is very astounding to me to hear so many people wanting something for nothing. Um, not to say that the atrocities and the, the hardships that were uh, lived by people of that time period, um, as I stated in my previous conversation, well, nobody's, it wasn't but nobody's just, calling into this show asking for it. Not one person was in favor of it. Well, the the first caller, the reason I called the uh, the lady, the young lady that Julie. said that she was a conservative, oh, but yeah, didn't yeah, get yeah. the math right on yeah. you know she issuing was just reparations. Saying, she was just saying, I, I consider that a kind of new conservative where it's like, look, we can do this more efficiently, so let's yeah. get the emotion out of it. So I, I well, respect that, but to me, solution minded, uh, you know, to to make solutions and not just try to heap onto the problem. Solutions would be to limit government, to stop robbing every man, woman, and child out of their paycheck, you know, to uh, have Congress to start uh, enacting their responsibility and setting the monetary policy instead of the Federal Reserve, to go back to a gold and a physical monetary standard instead of the fiat currency that we currently have, to institute a limited government uh, term limits for career politicians to really affect change in this country. And the, like I said, uh, rising tide lifts all boats. Everybody would benefit from that type of economic uh, social justice because right now we have the mass majority of people contributing to a few oligarchy families that have uh, monopolized this country since that time period. And as I was stating, you know, you, you were saying that the states did not um, have tariffs on each other. That's completely – I mean, they're still I, doing it today. Here in Georgia uh, – just one real quick. Here in Georgia, they give tax breaks mm -hmm. incentives. Yeah. I, I live in Jackson County. We just gave a huge no. tax incentive to a Korean company to come in and build a battery factory. And they do so, it to the film industry, as, which and, is and there the to film change industry, the, the culture. And so, so all of this – is this this is modern day tariffs on other states because a state like Illinois, a state like uh, New York, a state uh, like California, all of these states have high taxes, high burdens on small business and big business alike. So therefore, they have instituted a policy within themselves, causing themselves to have uh, you know companies leaving their states, leaving taking jobs from their people. And then when the states blow up out of bankruptcy and debt, they, you know, say, oh, well, we need the federal government to come in. We, we don't need more government. We need more people being independent. That's, that's why we fought a revolution. That's why we broke away from uh, the, you know, monotheistic crown system, because we wanted a representative republic. We are not a democracy. Yeah. We elect our people by a democratic means. 
but we are a representative republic. I love the way you're thinking, Brian. I don't agree with every single thing that you said, but I, the general themes that I think are uh, are critical, and I always try to return to this, policies that are meant to correct bad policies are complicated and impure. They don't actually fix the problem. They create more problems. I always try to go back and say, what's the problem? How can we correct it? So uh, I agree with you. The smaller government, the lower taxes, the uh, efficiency of that, the prosperity of that, the, I would say, the egality of that, the income tax you said do with, I totally agree. It's completely regressive in the very largest sense because the truly wealthy aren't the ones earning ordinary income. They're just nope. not. So the income nope. tax, you know, I would say. It, and then they cut themselves out deals in legislation. So I can make money off of a uh, investment where, you know, I, I buy a stock and then sell it or short sell a stock. And I only pay 15 percent taxes, whereas in my small business, I have to pay 20, 25 upwards to 40% taxes just four or five years ago. Yeah, I wouldn't. I I think the, the tax code's highly complicated. There's no, uh, even the corporate taxation is all about what it favors, what it doesn't favor. I think it favors capital, investment, technology over labor. I don't like it. Uh, and a, and a, certainly getting all that stuff out of the federal government and going back to before the income tax. See, the income tax is actually a moral hazard because it creates so much money for the federal government. It allows them to violate its constitution. We used to be able to finance it with such fewer, such smaller income because there was so little for it to do. But I do, I, I, and the idea that the rising tide lifts all ships Let's look at, okay, what is reparations for? It's to make right a terrible injustice that was completely in violation of the principles that we were founded upon. And I think it was, it felt like an intractable issue when people did want to end the practice. They couldn't figure out how because it would bankrupt these rich and powerful people whose who considered human beings their property. Now, that was a moral mistake. They should not have done that. And I look at some of the questions we look at today, and I say, look at the true morality of this issue, because you will be judged. You'll either be judged by history, you'll be judged by God, you'll be judged by yourself on your deathbed. Don't make excuses for why your immoral practice is okay. Don't do it. But that was the problem. And if we and ending that practice, bloody though it was and uh, disruptive though it was, the goal to accomplish was that everyone could avail themselves of the inherent prosperity that comes from the Constitution and the system that we have. So let's try to uh, if people would would instead of throwing the baby out with the bathwater, say, you know what, let's take our turn, not by redistributing, but by taking away those things that benefit one person over the other. And then we'll just avail ourselves of this limitless wealth. Because with human production, with human effort is limitless wealth. It's not a pie that needs to be redistributed. It's limitless. So just avail yourself of it. And these are the principles that we need to think about 
to make the most and not to give all the power to the to the politicians and say, oh, uh, help us beg. Help. Uh, it's in your power. Give it to us. No, take it through these wonderful principles that result in the greatest wealth and, and equality. Uh, I would like to go to Anne. Anne, you are on with Monica. Hi, Anne. Hi, Monica. Thank you so much for everything that you do. Um, I I just agree with the gentleman that called earlier, and I, I have to say that I think it is all about morals and education. Because even during the toughest times, as a black woman, I can say that I I just I, I wasn't raised to be dependent upon anyone or have any great expectations from anyone other than myself. So I had to pull my own stuff up and I had to make sure that I was on point with everything that I've done. And I think that as a people, we have to stop expecting someone to give us something. If anyone deserves reparations, maybe we should just start with the Indians. Start there, and then everyone else can get in line from from that point on. I do think it's important to make a point, and that when you're talking about American Indians or African slaves, they were forced, and a lot of people died. So, like, I think there's a a movement. Binkley, my producer, was saying like people like everybody wants to jump on the bandwagon. And I do think that there, I would like to acknowledge that there, this is terrible injustice and complete violation of what we said our principles were. But I, but I do want you to continue because it doesn't matter. You know, you want to, you want to um, be the best person you can be and get the most out of it. And if there, you know, it's it, the, some of these things may, may be counterproductive for the individual, like welfare is counterproductive to the individual, in my opinion. It, it is very counterproductive, and I can speak on it from experience. Um, yeah, you, you, you get nothing there except a crutch, and you fall on that crutch, and it holds you there, and it gets to be fun standing on it. Uh, no, that is that is not good. But what brings us out of all of this is education and staying eyes wide open and ears wide open and being able to not be spoon-fed uh, little things from our so-called black leaders. There aren't any black leaders. I don't have a black leader. I, I, I am led by my thought pattern, by the things that I can go and research for myself. That's how I am led. I am led by my faith. I am led by what I know that is morally right and consistent. I, I just think that uh, stop with the reparation thing. Let's look at taxes. Let's 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 look at what's happening around us as not just as a people because there's no other place for us to go but this earth right now. I but want to just uh, emphasize something. and something that you're saying is uh yes, this this thing about, you know, black leader or um identity what it, it, to me it's a it's it takes away the nobility of man. What you're saying is education, reason, morality, your faith. These are the things. This is what it is to be a human being. This is what allows us to be responsible for our actions, to accept the consequences for our actions. And we all share this. And and because of that, our motives, our morals, all that stuff, to agree to 
to recognize with eyes wide open the fundamental truths of morality and our responsibility either and the difference between civics and um, faith is that's how you can come together as a nation. And different nations are different ways, different cultures. I'm not going to deny that. But we have a system here that was really meant for that. It was it was founded on shaky ground because of the uh, American Indians and African slaves who were in complete violation of that. But that doesn't mean we should sell ourselves short now in understanding that the unifying factor is what makes man noble, that little spark of divinity and our ability to have a reason, free will, understand the difference between right and wrong. That's what our our civil and moral foundations are built on. And I think it, it, it unites us. And this other stuff is intentionally meant to divide us. And it's false. Yes. And I'd like to get in one more point if I could. Yeah. Another thing that the gentleman said was um, that racism is is not just the white people. I I totally agree. If you want to see some real racism, I totally agree. The Pakistanis, the the Indians, the Asians, but let's not leave out the black folks. Please, come on. Really? As a black person, and I am speaking to those other blacks that are listening, you know. You know, you know. Take a look in the mirror. You're waiting. Start with the person in the mirror. I have to take a break, and thank you for the call. And you're wading into an area I do not feel confident to comment on. I do think other, all societies have these strata. Uh, some are racial, some are economic. That's how you're grown. You can't deny that. Maybe we want to move beyond that, but this is no way to do that. And the conversation continues. David, Tim, hang on. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. This will not stand, you know. This aggression will not stand, man. On News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We are hot and heavy in this uh, discussion about reparations. I was taken by surprise that this is the issue that everybody wants to talk about, but I'm happy to facilitate that. 800-WSB-TALK. I'm going to David. David, you're on with Monica. Hello, Miss Monica. How are you doing today? And thank you for taking my call. Uh, I'm great, but I don't have a lot of time. I went over, so get it out, and uh, I won't cut you off. Okay, real quick. I'm curious if the government starts doing this, which I don't trust them with the money, but if they do this, are they going to go back in history and look at the black people that owned slaves, like the very first person to ever purchase a person in the, in continental North America? I, I do not know the history of that. Um, I And I'll tell you, the first time I ever even heard that concept was just this today when I was investigating Kamala Harris and her mother, you can click through on Wiki, but your, her father, who's very prominent, he's a Stanford economics professor, you can't. And I looked in his bio and he said he was descended from slave owners. I was cratch, scratching my head and trying to figure that one out. I really don't know the answer to any of it, but it seems to me this is all just one big political show. We're going to continue to talk about it on this show after the break. This is Monica Perez. Please take my hand. Now open your mind to me. Please open your mind. Open your mind. Open your mind. 
This is Monica Perez waking Atlanta up to the true threats to our liberties every Saturday from 3 to 6 right here on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. And we are well into a a very, very high level um, or at least honest, insightful, varying viewpoints on the reparations question which I thought was just a passing thing in the debate, but it was getting a lot of press last week, and we, uh, it, it is an emotional topic, and it's being used for political purposes. So obviously we need to address it because nothing is used for political purposes that is not a threat to our liberty. So I'm going to uh, – I know Binkley asked for a couple of tweets. Did you have anything? Should I give you a minute and take this call? I'll give you a minute, and I'll take this call. So but tweet me if you want, at Monica Perez Show. Uh, I am going to Tim. Hey, Tim, you're on with Monica. Hey, Monica, how you doing? Good, how you doing? I'm okay. My problem with this issue is people are presenting this as these are black people asking for something for nothing, and that in itself is fundamentally false. What, what people are asking for is that the government make good on a promise that was made. That's what people are asking for. Make good on the promise. The promise that people were promised, and we can go back and we can research the whole 40 acres and a mule thing, but people were promised land and an opportunity when slavery was was abolished. Mm -hmm. And it never happened. Not for black people, but it happened for for American Indians. They've been made whole multiple times over. They were given land grants. They were given opportunities. Even with casino licenses, that's a form of reparations that's been paid to them, and it's still being paid as recently as 1980. When, when the Congress passed legislation again to further uh, take care of American Indians, it was paid to Japanese Americans after after internment camps for Japanese Americans. It was paid to Jews after the Holocaust. It's always been something that the U.S. government has paid, and black people went through 400 years of slavery. I'm, I'm in my 50s, and I'm the first generation in my family, first generation of black people, period, in this country that did not live under some form of government-sponsored uh, uh, racism. People lived for, for under slavery for 400 years, and after that, 100 years of, of uh, segregation and Jim Crow, and it was all government-sponsored. Black people were never made whole. Even slave owners were made whole because they were paid reparations for the property, the quote-unquote property that they lost when slavery was abolished. It's not Wait, a question you, to ask. It, did they? Were they? I thought that's yeah. why it could never be resolved no, black, uh, white people, peacefully. Slave owners, were, slave owners were paid for the property that they lost. The black people were never paid for the for the work that they have that they were done, and it doesn't have to be in the form of a check. That's the other right. uh, the other misrepresentation. Nobody's asking, okay, well, cut look, me a check for X number of dollars. But it can be in the form. Yeah. It can be in the form of 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 educational assistance. It can be a form of of land well, grants. It can be a form there of, is of, that, of right? no There is no, some of not. that. I mean, think about it like this: My dad could not have gone to the University of Georgia. And because my dad couldn't have gone to the University of Georgia, I couldn't have gone to. I wouldn't have gotten gotten a chance to get legacy points to go to the University of Georgia. Oh. That may or may not have been the difference of me going. But yeah. the white kids were able to. And those are the kind of things that were institutionally in place, and they're still in place that that people of color don't have to don't get to take advantage of. And those are the kind of things that that they matter. That they're involved and they matter. It's not a question of asking for something for nothing. Okay. People are asking to be made whole. All right, let's let's break it down a little bit. I I absolutely experienced firsthand in my own life 
the impact of a legacy, even simply of education I, or any of that. Like, I did not know how to get a white collar job. I did not understand. I, I, I didn't know what a syllabus was when I went to uh, Harvard. It was just crazy. I, I transferred from community college to Harvard as a junior, and I literally just was so ignorant. I did not know what I didn't know. And I, and I was at a great disadvantage. I couldn't compete for jobs that the other kids who came from wealthier families. I mean, I think a lot of this is parallel with, uh, just the inequality of, um, economic inequality, inequality of histories and education. And then you can draw the distinction where there were government policies that created by force these inequalities and and so yes there's a distinction between just the way things shake out and the fact that i was the children of immigrants which was voluntary uh, or the grandchild then so you look at okay so there's definitely government policy that definitely affected people with with certain reparations like uh property confiscated by nazis that jews many jews could prove their actual ownership of that and that takes away and if you can trace who got the benefit who uh who lost the property and actually make individual justice like that that's easier to you know easier but we're to talking, take. but yeah. but that happened but that happened you know, 70 years ago, we're talking about something that was an institution, uh, institution uh, into over 400 years. We're talking about multiple generations. We're talking about out of that. That's a that's a profound injustice. How can you make it right? That's why it's that's why it, it can't be about cutting the check. But it was institutionalized that the institutions made it happen. There can be things that could be done institutionally to make it right. Like, get, like give should, me. Three, uh, three examples. No one. interest business loans. No interest business loans. The government can issue no interest business loans to descendants of slaves, and that will be an opportunity where it's not a – it forces people to do work. It forces people to, to invest in what they're doing, and it allows them to be made whole for the injustices that were done to their ancestors. That's something that the, the government could do, and it can't be a situation you go, well, you bankrupt us. Because it's not about well, bankrupting. I, don't, I mean, I hate the. I always hate it when when uh, debt is fostered because I think it's a trap. But but some people earlier were saying that affirmative action and other um, kind of check the box advantages were meant as a way of uh, making up for the sources of inequality from the past. And Monica, do you agree? Like affirmative action would count you, as one of these things. You and I both know that affirmative action in theory was a good idea. But right now today, as a minority, I can go down to any, I could go to, I'm in, I'm in Gwinnett County right now. I could go to Gwinnett County and I could apply for, uh, to do business with, uh, with a, uh, with Gwinnett County as a minority business person. And I would have a greater chance if I applied to get minority business, if I had a majority business partner. You and I both know Is that, that true? Oh, no, I don't know that. You, you know, well, you don't know that, but I do. I know that if, if you are a minority business and, and you are a small minority business, if you are a, a go in, if you have a majority business partner, it is easier to get the well, business. Well, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised is, is. 
if having somebody who is established and that a person is easier established if they don't have a legacy of and if, and, if, and who's more who's most likely to be that person that's, yeah. that's more established? Come no, on, I get that. So the, prim- are, the premise that yeah. the premise that affirmative action is well, that was the the, the end all to be all make good. In theory, it sounded good in theory, and in in a lot of ways, it helped a lot of people. I think, but that was a very small drop in a very big bucket. Yeah, I agree, and I will say, I do not think that there's much. Uh, we're never going to get a uh, a perfect solution. There's there's just so much inequality uh, in the world, even just naturally. There's this economic theory, the Coase theorem, Ronald Coase, really like the way he thought he said that uh, assets end up at their best and highest use no matter where they start and even no matter what the costs of moving them around is so ultimately this is why i get back to being i I don't think he was a libertarian but i do believe in that the most good for the most people to quote to paraphrase ron paul comes from liberty and but I, but I have to, I have to say, I've, I've, I believe that affirmative action has had a, a positive impact on, um, at least, changing the, the economic status, of, uh, people from the lower economic echelon to the higher one. I do think that, and, um, whether it is in keeping with my ideology or not, I don't know. But there are things like that, that I think can be weighed. And come out beneficial, but there are also a lot of traps. I mean, there's a lot of, uh, if you're going to, if you're not going to, the devil's in the details. I mean, I don't like the idea of giving people loans. I think that that's a trap. I don't like the, uh, it's easier if it is easier to get on welfare, if you are one race or ethnicity over another one, that's a trap in my opinion. It's not better for you. It's not going to, it's going to align that racial group that gets that different treatment and kind of put them in a pocket that they can't get out of, I think. So there is injustice and I'm not sure we can make it up. I do think if you can trace who did the wrong and who suffered the damages and can identify the damages, that's a, that's a tried and true legal premise. Uh, I'm going to go to Vince and, uh, hello. Hey Vince, you're on the air with Monica. How you doing? Yeah, hi Monica. So uh, a couple things. One, I'm I'm not a big fan of of the uh, reparations argument. Um, you know, you you talked about uh, affirmative action, but there's also you know various different forms of of, of uh, welfare and government subsidies. And if you take all of those things over the last 50 years, which obviously all didn't go towards uh, minorities, but a but a significant portion did. If you took all of the that uh, money. And you you added that all up, that would be a, a you know significant significant uh, check in terms of you know any kind of reparations. And you know there's a lot of different reasons why it wouldn't work. You know I think correct me if I'm wrong, but I think there were only 13 states that had Jim Crow laws. Um, and so you know you've got the other uh, you know 37 states that didn't even have anything to do with that. Uh, you know you go back and you look at. Um, um, you, you go back and you look at some of the things that uh, Thomas Sowell has has talked about in terms of impacting uh, the, the black family. And he talks about the, the it's you know, uh, it's the uh, cultural things that are far more uh, consequential than yes. anything that the government ever had to do. And none of those things had to do with 
uh, you know, somebody holding someone else in, in, in an oppressive state, you know, whether it was uh, it could slavery. Be a legacy. Ended- it could be a legacy of your of your social history, though. I mean, I'm not going to deny that. But these injustices aren't they have not been resolved because of all that money that you're talking about that went into these programs. I don't think it I think they were counterproductive. So I agree. Where does 100%. that get you? Yeah, absolutely. And, and and what would what makes anybody think that the, anything that the government would do right now if they were going to put reparations together? They the, the government can't draw water without screwing it up. Just I don't even think they're Michigan. incompetent. I think that in fact they are uh, bad intentioned. So they're not going to want it to work, and therefore it's not going to work. So uh, that's where Bingley uh, said earlier is that it's not meant to solve the problem. It's meant to make the problem worse. And I believe. That's what it would do. And I'm open to uh, continuing the discussion after the break. 800 WSB Talk. You can tweet at me at Monica Perez Show. Monica Perez. You maniac! You blow it up! On News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Call in. What's your view? We're talking about reparations. And uh, obviously, there it's... People have a lot to say. 800 WSB Talk. You can tweet at me at Monica Perez Show. I am going to Yvette. Yvette, you are on with Monica. Thank you, Monica. Hey, my question is, how do they determine who pays for this reparations? Because if you came over on the Mayflower, maybe yes. But if your family didn't come to the United States until the 1920s, why should you have to pay for it? That's that's what I was thinking earlier, is that my family, my grandmother was riding her little bicycle against the IRA, uh, with the IRA when a, the English were oppressing them in Ireland, and that's when they came over at, I mean, over 100 years ago. But but there's there's a great deal of injustice in the world, and a lot of people came here to escape it, and we're, are, we're not the oppressors. And what do you do? And I feel like... The South was basically destroyed, right? So they're really the fruits of the labor. The damages remain, but the fruits of the labor were destroyed instead of preserved and distributed as they perhaps a better solution would have been. I don't know if it was possible, but. Yeah, I just don't think they'd ever have a way to collect the money from someone who was not here during that time. I mean, my God, we could, you know, we didn't even take care of the Indians. What you know? Yeah. So, well, they were they were saying Tim was saying that we did, but I will say that no. that goes back to the original takeaway that I got from the Democratic debates overall, which was their fundamental viewpoint is that the collective is the basic unit of society, not the individual. But our laws and the only real justice. Liberty and justice for all. I actually think it should be liberty and justice for each. The only true justice is you you have to be responsible for what you did just for the practical reason that in order to have an orderly society, you have to control your own behavior. And you will do that if you are responsible for it and only it. We would just devolve into chaos if we didn't have that uh, system. So chew on that, and we'll talk more about it after the break. 800-WSB-TALK. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. Well, no one's going to top that. On News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. I am waking Atlanta up to the true threats to our liberty every Saturday from 3 to 6 right here on WSB. And we've only got a half an hour left, and there is still, I mean, so many great calls. So I've got tweets. I even have my own 
quote I want to chime in, so we are going to get to it all. So if you are on hold, you stay on hold because I am going to get to every single person. Um, I want to, we were, we've been talking about reparations this whole time and it's a, it's an emotional subject. I haven't gotten anybody with the exception of Tim who, and he wasn't even like on board with what the actual proposal is, but most people do not think it's a good idea. And, and to Tim's point, there, uh, there are grave injustices from the beginning of time. It reminds me of a quote. What he was saying reminds me of a quote I've always liked from William Graham Sumner, a, uh, I believe he was a Yale sociologist from the uh, hundred years ago. He says, all history is only one long story to this effect. Men have struggled for power over their fellow men in order that they might win the joys of earth at the expense of others and might shift the burden of life from their own shoulders upon those of others. And sadly, in many ways, that is true. I think I suspect William Graham, Graham Summer was a bit of a cynic, but uh, that is, I mean, that's certainly uh, economic and political history, I would think. Or I should say political history versus economic history if you're a real hardcore libertarian. Uh, Binkley, I'm going to ask you to give me a tweet, and then we're going to go to the calls. Okay, I have, have a tweet from Calbro. This is a self-described African-American, and he says, One thing about reparations is that we see people who win the lottery, and then they blow the money. So it's about mindset preparation and self-proficiency that makes you whole. The proletariat liberal blacks have a toxic mindset in how to better themselves. I feel like there was a concerted effort that – in this report from Iron Mountain, which is from the 60s, where you know maybe it's a blueprint for the government. Maybe it's just a reflection of what they were actually doing and planning. There's a lot of truth in it, and one of the things was to to scapegoat people, to euphemize slavery, to make like slave to drugs, slave to debt, uh, to to exploit a dis, quote despised minority. We see a lot of that. There was a more recent memetics thing from DARPA slideshow that said they enhance dysfunctional subcultures for power in other countries. They probably do it here too. I think that the mindset is a reflection that these negative things, negative cultural elements are a reflection of this intentional neutralizing of a powerful, independent, very American subculture that does not buy the flowery promises of the politicians because they know that even if you espouse principles that seem fair, like liberty and justice for all, you don't follow through on it all the time. I mean, those are the people who really understand it, like the serfs in Russia or, you know, the feudal system in Europe. Like that is the history of injustice at the hands of the elite that keeps people from uh, trusting the overlords. And and that is something that is important and valuable and to to switch that to to having people think they have to ask for beg have representation to get what's theirs i would just say forget it move on i mean i i didn't grow up with the same advantages of other people i saw around me but it's like blaming your parents for stuff i'm not trying to tell people how to feel feel however you want but for me i think 
once you're a parent, you're like, oh, I get it. Like, nobody knows what they're doing. We're just doing the best we can. Don't be mad. But really, the the answer isn't that they're not guilty, that the people who did wrong are not guilty. But it's not going to help you to disempower yourself. You should want it would be better for everybody and we can all join together for a uh, to a free and just society not social justice individual justice and then that empowers yourself and you can rise above so uh i think that any kind of negative mindset is a, an advantage to the politicians who prey on identities absolutely so and i know vaguely you had a um some of these calls have gotten you also kind of riled up or at least have some answers. I, I haven't looked at what they're saying. So let's just go to Kim. Kim's been on hold the longest. Kim, you are on with Monica. How are you doing? Oh, great. Thanks for taking my call. Um, if you listen to the Democratic debates the other night, they were talking about, oh, yeah, I want to get free education and free this and free that. And, and my feeling is that politicians are like drug dealers. I mean, a heroin dealer is going to make it easy to get on heroin, and then he's going to raise the price. And the price for a for a politician is, you got to vote for me, or they're going to take away. You know, my opponent's going to take away all your free stuff. And and so the thing is, is that they don't want you to get off of their free stuff because that's not really free. Because if you can get off off any kind of public de- government dependence, it's like if it's like. If a heroin dealer, all their people kick heroin and tell them to go jump in a lake, they're screwed. That's a fantastic point. I couldn't agree more. They don't want to create empowered people because if if people discover how empowered and how truly capable they are, then they won't need these politicians and these promises of handouts like this. And it reminds me of when I was – in Washington, uh, protesting Obamacare, and there were some European visitors, tourists on the train, and they're like, "What? what's all these protests? I mean, there were huge, huge protests. And I said, yeah, unlike the protests that you guys have in Europe, we're protesting that the government not give us stuff. <laughs> you know, and, and the problem was because we know it's a trap, and over there you just see people taking to the streets, millions of people saying, no, no, we we want, we want. If you have a pricing mechanism and you put the productivity and you, a, and get, you determine your own consumption based on a price that reflects all the information about what something has value, you get to make those choices. And all of those choices and preferences and effort are all boiled into the pricing mechanism, which – is the source of all surplus wealth and it and it's and Kim is right and you're right that this that this disempowerment that's the point that's where they get the power who gets the power they get the power that is it, all the power derives from the people and the less power you have the social power is a zero sum game according to Albert J Knox so the more power you give up the less power you have and they we're the last to know <laughs> about that. All right, let's uh let's keep going. I'm going to Todd. Todd, you're on with Monica. Hi, how are you doing? Good. Good. My uh only statement is I know the uh gentleman earlier was talking about his father couldn't go to UGA so he can go because of I believe you said the legacy. Um the only thing I have is with reparations if it in generality, they're saying it affects all black people. So how did Dr. Ben Carson become a neurosurgeon? 
how did Herman Cain become a CEO of Godfather's Pizza, Burger King? Um, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Dr. Ben Carson's mom was a single mom who grew up in Harlem. She worked two jobs, and she refused to take the benefit. It's the mindset and the instillment of the family or the parents and the upbringing. If you say, oh, you know, I can't do this because of what happened in the past, that's wrong. It is disempowering, and I, I don't like it. I mean, you can think of lots of examples. Thomas Sowell, Clarence Thomas, people who have expended superhuman efforts and have had uh, these fantastic qualities and good character, and it's and it's very hard. I find taking examples of of extreme achievement is inspirational and wonderful, and not everybody is a hyperachiever, and what you look at, uh, somebody else seems to have it easier. I think in some respects that is true, but in other respects, we're all, we all, if you really want, I, I feel like it's disempowering primarily because you look and say, the, these struggles that I have are outside of my control and they're unusually heavy burdens. But the reality is, I mean, seven out of 10 suicides are white men. So I don't, I don't know what to really make of that, except for we really don't, some burdens are maybe by looking from the outside in, it looks like somebody else has it easier. Who knows? I mean, who knows? So we all have these insecurities. Adolescents are in such a mess. I was a mess as an adolescent. It's terrible insecurities that that I think these identity issues, politics exploit this. this, And I think it really targets adolescents because that's when you have that terrible insecurity, trying to define yourself, trying to understand the world. And when they tell you that most of it's outside of your control, very disempowering. But that tweet earlier is still haunting me. Where he talks about um, education is the better. Uh, I hate to go back, but give me just that one, the beginning of that tweet. Do you remember? It was something like education is really the answer, that the lottery system is not. Go ahead. He says that one thing about reparations is that we see people who win the lottery and then they blow the money. So it's about a mindset uh, of preparation and self proficiency that makes you whole. Yeah. And I, I feel like. Uh, there, there is an element of, you know, it's cultural though. It's not really a policy thing. It's that we have to, it's like guns. If you have a culture of no one ever had any guns ever, you have complete ban on guns. And then libertarians like me come in and say, no, everybody should have guns. There should be no rules about guns whatsoever. I'm not sure. It's like the pot stuff, the drug stuff. Like, I'm not 100% positive you can go from a culture where no one's ever seen this stuff before. Not that they haven't seen it here, but I'm just saying if, like, theoretically, to where uh, people can handle it, you need um, response. See, liberty and justice in the society result in that real education, not just reading books, but like a real understanding of consequences and what's good for you, what's in your, your best interest. That's where I think morality comes from and our legal structure, the real foundational legal structure come from. That's how it works. That's what's good. And that's what we mean by good. Yeah, the education is where it starts. And the majority of the population goes into the public education system, which creates a disempowered mindset quite often. And while these elites, the children of elites, go to these wealthy boarding schools that really none of us could ever really get into where it teaches them 
Socrates and public speaking and acting and how to manage the masses that are being disempowered through public education. I uh, let's. Yeah, I do feel like that's where you get to where the economics and those other experiences are also very important because you think about if you were very highly educated and you are in the the very elite group and you have a lot of connections are are people of color in that group really who we're talking about you know what I mean? It's just it's that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is actually suffering damages from this legacy. And I think that's a real thing. And I think yeah. that it's not purely historical. I think that the policies that we continue to have foment that on purpose. They want the racial divide. Yeah. They want to associate different races with different socioeconomic classes. It just makes that that strife and struggle that's essential to Marxism and cultural Marxism alive. Yeah. The racial divide is their job security. <laughs> yes. All, all insecurity is their job security. Exactly. And on that, let's take a quick break. Um, David and Vance, I promise I will get to you right after the break. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. Wow. That was intense. On News 95.5 and AM 750, WSB. The Monica Perez Show is always intense. David, you are on with Monica. Hi, David. Hi, Monica. How are you doing? Good. What you got? So I was sitting there thinking, the United States was formed in 1776, and we abolished slavery in 1865. That's less than 100 years. Prior to that, the country or the new world was ruled by France. Britain and Spain. So to say that the United States of America is solely responsible for reparations to all of them, uh, uh, to African Americans for the slavery is is not, you know, it's like it should be taken to the world to be paid as reparations. And I mean, we're the country that that lost almost a million lives to end it in the Civil War, and. They've been paid, you know, through affirmative action and things like that since since that time to try and bring them up in society and more equal. Uh, I don't think that reparations is is anything but a political ploy by those trying to get votes. Yeah, the true injustice will not really the true injustice won't really be solved. But you bring up that the no none of the injustices of the world are really ever solved in retrospect but the uk thing is so interesting to me because i read a long time ago so it's not fresh but i'm almost positive this is the truth i'm positive i read it that england abolished slavery without shedding a drop of blood in 1833 i don't know how they did it if they the big thing was that the owners wanted reparations the owners because they had what they considered to be property now i don't think I don't accept that because it's inherently obvious that you can't own a person and I don't go for that. Yeah. But but England continued to engage in the slave trade and we were their customers and they put a lot of pressure on us to continue that. They did not want slavery to be abolished in this country because that would impact their economy. So I, I think that's funny that for 30 years they continued this and uh, knowing how wrong it was. So, yeah, let's uh, file suit in the, in the Hague. Anyway, there's so much. I have so much material 
didn't even crack the book today because we had such a lively conversation. But um, we've got some good stuff planned for you next week. Talk to you then. This is Monica Perez.